Well, uh, good afternoon and good evening, everybody. Um, glad to see you here so late in the day. Um, this, this is officially beer time, so um, we're keeping you away from something much more important than this. So um, I'm James Gosling, um, checkered career, did Java. I've been doing, I've spent more time doing IoT stuff than other stuff, and, and Java actually started out as an IoT thing, and then it got diverted. Um, and, and my partner in crime here is? Uh, Richard Barry, and I'm uh, embedded engineer and the founder of the FreeRTOS project, uh, which I will talk a little bit about later. Yeah. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about um, mostly about kind of how we think of IoT on the engineering side of AWT as a, 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 of AWS rather than, you know, the marketing people. Um, so this is the engineering spin. Um, I think the, the uh, abstract for this talk was written up by some marketing people and we've pretty much ignored it. So, um, you, you know, the, the you know, the embedded world and the cloud world have been around for a while, and the, 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 the sort of buzz term IoT is just, you know, when you sort of slam a, a network in the middle. Um, I, I personally hate the, the phrase IoT, but it does sort of convey this, this, this kind of joining of these technologies that have listed, uh, been around for a long time. So this is a diagram that, that Amazon has been using like crazy this week. Um, I think that this has shown up in, in every IoT talk. Because um, they label it a little bit differently um, because the, 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 both of these pieces are, are in the cloud, both the pieces that, that handle intelligence and that handle uh, connectivity. And the intelligence part is, is kind of the sort of traditional, if anything at Amazon is traditional part of Amazon. It's, it's all the sort of massively scaled streaming and analytics and all of the rest of it. And, and the, the, the devices are, you know, the embedded world that's been around for a long time. And what the sort of IoT group at, at, um, at Amazon does is mostly the, the cloud side of what it takes to um, connect into the, the 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 cloud and and a little bit on the on the end of the of the device, you know. And so there's 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 there's, there's things like green grass and and free RTOS that that are you know living in living in the device. And we're trying to make the world of the device um, fit better with the technologies for the cloud. So the landscape for um, for the in the embedded world is 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 huge, you know. It's 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 not just, you know, it's, it's not just things that look like a Raspberry Pi, right? It's 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 everything from 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 airplanes to light bulbs, which has a huge. I mean, there's a huge mass ratio there, um, and and the and the requirements of these embedded systems uh, vary dramatically on a lot of different axes from. Um, timing to reliability, and even, even timing, there's issues around bandwidth and latency and jitter, and you know, what is the, the penalty of missing uh, a deadline? So you've got you know, large systems, whether they're you know, cars or airplanes or ships or factories. Um, you know, when, when most people look at you know, a, a factory filled with, with, with with robot arms, they think, oh, there's a bunch of robot arms. But, but in fact, it's a large distributed system. It's no different than a data center, really. You know, it's just a data center with a lot more mass, or you know, the, where the, the you know, mass to CPU count ratio is much higher. Um, and these things are all sort of hierarchies of time-critical coordinated processes. Um, you know, when you take something like, like a robotic arm, they will often have like a processor for every motor and a processor for every sensor, some bus connecting them all. Um, and, and one of the things that's difficult in the embedded world is, is, the, the, is the crazy diversity in 
ways to interconnect things. Um, you know, in, in most of the computer universe, um, you know, we've sort of gone to, gotten to expect that, that, that Ethernet and the Internet have won. That's all you'll ever find, and everything looks like, like, looks like Ethernet. Um, but when you're in the embedded world, there are a bunch of, of these communication networks that are just not dying, no matter how much we might want them to be. The things like CAN bus and Profi bus, which you've probably never heard of, or Modbus. Um, you know, the, the sort of RS-232 um, serial line and, you know, all the different variations of RS-232 and, and, and MIDI, which is really a serial line. Um, they will not die. Um, but they, and they're used in a lot of different places. Um, and, and if you go to some of the, the, the stranger large robots, like, like my previous life, um, you know, it, it's all satellite links. And you'd think, oh, it's a satellite link, I can make that look like an Ethernet. And no, you can't really, because you always end up with, with issues around um, delay and reliability. You know, so, so like the, the network that I've used the most is a network called the Iridium SPD, short burst data. Um, you know, and that's a dollar a kilobyte. And, and so think about it, you know, it's, it's a, a dollar a kilobyte, right? It's, it's a tenth of a cent per byte, you know, and that, um, that adds up really quickly, right? You're not sending, you know, a, a single decent photograph will cost you $1,000 to send. So you're not doing that. And you think about how you pack packets differently. Um, and this incredible diversity of communication mechanisms um, makes life entertaining. Um, you know, some of the really common ones like, like CAN bus, CAN is the car area network, it pretty much owns the automotive industry, um, but even though it is more firmly, it's very firmly standardized with stacks of, of, of standards documents, there's also a lot of variability in it, so there's, different, there, there's an ungodly number of flavors of CAN bus. Um, and a lot of these things have really tight timing properties that they, that they depend on. You know, you, you, know, you hear these OSs called real-time OSs. And you know, the, the, the RTOS doesn't mean small, it doesn't mean fast, it means real-time. It means things where you really depend on timing, where you get no latency spikes, right? So if, you, so if, you've, if you've got a robotic arm with two hinges, you know, if you're, if you're trying to move it in and out, you've got to have these two hinges moved in a, move in a coordinated way. And so you have to have the timing, the relative timing of these two hinges be exactly right. Um, or if, you got a, if it's a car with um, motors on the left and right side, you've got to have them very tightly aligned. Um, and a lot of time it's about, you know, making sure that you never have any latency spikes. Um, and latency spikes come in all kinds of crazy places. My favorite example is, is just a hash table. Um, you know, if you've got a hash table, it's no normally considered to be a, a really good data structure for, you know, high-speed um, reading and writing. And it's really good for reading, and it's really good for writing. But the problem with writing is, you, you know, when you take a college course and they, you, you, you study the performance of algorithms, you know, you use like, you know, the big O statistics, which is a statistical evaluation of the performance of an algorithm. And, and so with a hash map insertion, almost always it's very fast, but every now and then when you have to do a rehash, there's a big spike, big spike. And if this is a, an algorithm that's controlling, you know, wingtip flutter, on an airplane that you happen to be riding in, and you know suddenly a hash map has to has to um, has to rehash um, while there's an annoying piece of turbulence and the airplane explodes because the the aileron just sticks. Um, yeah, you're not going to be happy. Um, and and you know the, for for a lot of Standard algorithms like HashMap, there's like a bazillion ways of thinking about how to make them faster or how to make them less spiky, but they all come with trade-offs. 
Um, and one of the really common trade-offs in achieving real-time is that you, you spend a little bit in throughput. Um, so often, you know, systems that are, are um, very much, um, very, very real-time, they, they don't get as much throughput as you need. But it's also a universe where, you know, you're, you're probably used to um, doing performance evalu evaluations where, you know, you, you, you can't, like, you know, frames per second or, you know, milliseconds to respond. And what you care, care about is, like, average response times. And, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's a sliding scale. And in a lot of the embedded world, it's, it's a binary evaluation. It's simply fast enough or not. And, you know, if it's fast enough, then being even faster doesn't matter a whole lot. Um, so, if you go down a notch into slightly sm smaller machines, get these sort of medium-sized machines like, like the the the, the iRobot Roomba, and the the this 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 white square here that's the uh, the Rakio uh, irrigation controller. Um, I have one of those at my house, and actually I have both of those, but they're 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 lovely, but. Um, you know, this is sort of a class of machines that that can generally run. You know, a, a CPU that's kind of on the scale of of a Raspberry Pi, something that 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 is that is probably um, you know a Raspberry Pi or or an Arduino, and and you know, a Raspberry Pi is a actually a remarkably beefy machine. Um, you know, you can run all of Linux on it. Um, then you get to the, 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 the tiny world. You know, the, the, there are all these things that you can buy from, you know, microphones to, to clothes washers to all kinds of interesting medical equipment um, where you tend to think of them as just whatever they are and, and not actually a computer. And almost always they've got a really tiny... Uh, microcontroller in them. The microcontrollers these days tend to have an instruction set that is, you know, ARM is a really common instruction set. There are some others, but, you know, ARM really, really dominates. But even though it is the ARM instruction set, the amount of RAM is, it t tends to be really small. And the um, I.O. and, you know, doesn't even have a disk or anything like that, or anything that even looks like a disk. Does it have Flash for a file system or something—it's all extremely, um, extremely variable, and um, the a lot of these a lot of these systems um, they run free RTOS. I mean, free RTOS shows up in in a crazy number of things. Um, in my previous job, we used free RTOS all the time. You know, the the the, the systems we built. You know, when I give talks, I normally describe it as a system based on Linux, but in actual fact, of the you know, dozens of CPUs on the robot, only one of them ran, only one of them ran Linux, and all the others ran free RTOS. Um, and then, you know, outside of the world of these sort of things you would think of normally, um, there, there's, there's all kinds of weird um, embedded robotic systems out there um, that all have you know, differently instructive things. Um, these ones were chosen largely because I could get permissions from friends to use the pictures. Um, um, but this, this first one, this is a, a project that was done at Carnegie Mellon by a friend of mine named Ro Roger Dannenberg. Uh, it's called McBlair. It's a set of robotic bagpipes. It was done for the, the 150th anniversary of Carnegie Mellon University, and it actually played for a fair while in the lobby of the Scottish Parliament. Um, but, you know, so it's, it's got all of these, um, the, 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 the little levers where the, where the, 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 the go over the fingering spouts, and you can imagine what it would be like if, you know, the timing was slightly wrong. You know, any of you who have, you know, learned, a, learned any kind of a, wing, a wind instrument or any kind of instrument, really, you know, your timing has to be exquisite in order to get it right. And especially with something that has so much potential for being obnoxious as, as bagpipes. 
You know, well-played bagpipes are wonderful. Um, slightly not well-played bagpipes are awesome in a different direction. Um, and, 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 and so you have to really be careful about getting the timing right. And, you know, that's the RT and RTOS. Um, you know, some of, some of the things that people do with, with, with RTOSs, um, they look kind of complicated, but the software can be simpler than you would think. Um, so this is a six-legged walking machine. The machine, mechanically, the machine was built by Ivan Sutherland. And there were two teams that did software for it. And um, they're, 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 you know, a lot of folks have, have done, you know, walking machines. And, um, you know, typically, you know, there's, there's what amounts to like a big-ass supercomputer doing motion computations to figure out how, the, um, how, to, how to move the legs. And in, and in this one, the, the guy who was sitting on, on the chair whose head is cut off, um, that's my friend Mark Donner. Um, and uh, he, uh, one, one evening, he had this, 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 this epiphany that um, cockroaches have six legs. Cockroaches can walk. Cockroaches don't have giant supercomputers. So his, his PhD thesis was essentially dive into the biology literature, figure out the control algorithm in a cockroach, um, implement that on, a, on an embedded processor, and drive the truck. Guess what? It actually worked. Um, and he graduated. So that's all that mattered. Um, now, this is the, the thing that I've spent the last five years of my life, six years of my life working on, um, which is the liquid robotics uh, wave glider. There's a few thousand of them out there, a um, couple million of nautical miles of ocean transit. They, 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 you, you put them out in the ocean, and they'll survive for months and months and months. The, the, the sort of mechanical engineering goal for these things was you know, must survive a Category 5 hurricane. And I thought that that was kind of a stretch, but Category 5 hurricanes turn out to not be the hardest thing to survive. Um, and, um, you know, when you look at this, the, the, this part that I sort of zoomed in on, that's the, that's the rudder. And um, the, the rudder assembly actually has three CPUs in it, all running free RTOS. Um, there's one that, that, that's, that's in control of sort of the rudder motor itself. There's a, one that, this thing actually has a thruster. So there's a, a, a processor for the thruster. And then there's another processor for the communication links. Um, they, in a lot of these things, the number of processors tends to not follow any logic other than the org chart of the engineering team. Um, and they communicate only what they need to. And in the, the case of this, sort of incoming to it, it's got CAN bus, Ethernet, and serial lines, and power. Uh, and they all go through that, uh, you see, see there's that sort of black line, that's an umbilical cord up to, the, up to the surface. And if you follow it up to the surface, that's the, the heart of the robot, which is sort of a cross between a, a surfboard and a kayak. Staff stuffed with batteries and CPUs and uh, solar cells and satellite antennas on top. Um, and like I said, it's got you know one processor processor running Linux and then a whole lot of a whole lot of free RTOS. So, how do we think? What do we think about when we're designing this the, uh, this IoT stuff at, at AWS? You know, and it's mostly this combination of scale, security, reliability, and, and evolution. And, and the, the, the two middle ones, security and reliability, are strangely linked. Um, so scale, I'm not going to say much about it, because it, it's kind of what Amazon does, right? I mean, for, if you want to know about scale, go to any other talk at reInvent. I, I actually feel kind of odd being at Amazon, because my last three jobs, I wasn't allowed to use Amazon. Um, and here I am. Um, but one place that, that is a, an interesting point of scale is 
we tend to use MQTT a lot. That's the message queue transport. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, it's a, it's a sort of publish subscribe standard, um, and and you know a lot of the times in the embedded world, uh, what people do is they just open a socket and write because it's easy. Um, and, and and one question I've gotten a, a number of times is why should I use MQTT? And the point is that it gives you a common encapsulation format and 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 a routing framework that's. Uh, that, that's, that's based on a publish and sub subscribe framework rather than just a 32-bit a, a address. Um, and it allows us to do just a really sophisticated, high-scale um, routing messaging infrastructure so that we can you know, make the, make, make the, the, the scale from, from billions into a, a, a major stream really easy, and it's not a problem you have to, have to deal with. And yet, the, 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 the payload format ends up being, you know, whatever you like. I mean, one way to think of MQTT is it's another routing header in front of your bytes. Um, security, um, you know, I use, having not been at Amazon very long, but if I had to measure, like, what topic comes up in conversations most often, it's security. I mean, it is the thing that Amazon thinks about the most. And, and in the IoT world, it's, it's, it's a frightening universe. I mean, the, the number of botnets that people have created out of you know, cheap network routers or you know, webcams or, you know, it, it's, it's, it, it's tragic how many of these, these devices get shipped. You know, if they're running Linux, They'll often have a hardwired root password that is hideously easy to, to guess. You know, things like root and whiz are you know common, and it's like, how could you do this, guys? Um, one of the things that's nice at Amazon is that Amazon has has a dramatic depth of skill in in building um, secure systems that you can really trust. Um, you know, things like, like certificate management and authentication and crypto. Um, you know, there's, there's a whole lot of, of, of stuff that, that, that makes that really easy. And the thing you want to avoid in the IoT world is, is press that's, that's, that's like this. You know, the, all these connected toys that, are, um, that have major security failures in exposing children to all kinds of weirdness. Um, and it, it's all because somebody configured something with no password. And it's like, you know, it's an IQ test. I mean, a lot of security involves really high test security, and, and a lot of it is just an IQ test. So this was an email that, that, that Linus Torvald sent a couple of weeks ago, and it showed up in the press everywhere, where he, where he said, some security people have scoffed at me when I say that security problems are primarily just bugs. Those security, are, those security people are fucking morons. Um, and that's, I mean, that's been the truth about security problems on the internet for 30 years. Um, I mean, that, you know, being able to avoid these, like, buffer overflow hacks and all the things that are like that, um, was one of the drivers behind the, 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 the Java architecture. I mean, the reason that you cannot turn off array bounds checking in Java is exactly because of this, e this, this email, right? Um, and, and the thing about stuff like array bounds checking or null checking is that it doesn't actually cost you anything because the compiler can essentially always theorem prove it out, theorem prove it out of existence. Um, another place where um, the, the world of the cloud and the devices difference is the way that one has to approach reliability. Um, you know, at, at, at Amazon, so Richard and I, we, 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 we both have done a, a lot of work that's not on the cloud. 
and that's in in, in in embedded devices of one sort or another. And you know, you know, when we talk to people who do cloud work, they have this 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 incredibly luxurious universe where, you know, you know, if something goes goes crazy in, in one processor, you just shoot it. And, it, and, and, and if a group of them are going kind of crazy, you've got super intelligent human beings who can sort of SSH in and find out what's going on and the greatness happens. Um, and, and if you fix the, if you find a bug, you can edit a couple lines, hit compile, hit deploy, and you know, in minutes you're, you're, you're in, a, in, in a happy place. Um, in, the, in the embedded world, it's, it's, it's essentially always the case that you can't fail over to another processor. There are no godlike humans to rescue you. Um, it's real people and, and failures have physical consequences. You know, like, like, like one of the projects that, the, 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 that I got dragged into at Sun was uh, a consulting gig to, to work on the control processor for a, a large power plant. Um, or a, an electric generator, but this is a really big electric generator, one where the, the, the rotating element weighed, weighed about 200 tons. Um, and so when you've got like 200 tons of high-speed rotating steel um, that you have to, you know, the, 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 the deadline requirements were, were tended to be like around one or two milliseconds. And if we were late by as much as four milliseconds, you know, this power plant turns into a kinetic bomb. Um, and that's not a good thing. You know, so, so the, the, the kind of reliability in, the, in that universe is really, really different. Um, you know, and, and, and I always cringe when I see people who have done um, essentially the, the PhD thesis demo project and go ship it. And, and it's just, yeah. I'm just too paranoid for that. Um, and, you know, the way that one handles evolution in these two worlds is, is really different. And, you know, in the, in the world of the, the embedded world, I mean, you do evolution for a number of different reasons. Um, and, in, and in embedded device, um, evolution always happens through over-the-air updates. And lots of embedded devices don't support over-the-air updates because they're really, really hard to do. Or rather, they're really easy to do if you're if you're if you've got like a a large luxurious machine like a Raspberry Pi, and especially easy if you don't care about security. But if you're trying to do it for small devices where you care about security, OTA gets really really hard. And you want to be able to do OTA partly to add features and partly to add partly to fix bugs, but also because you know these things are somehow or other accessible to a network and there's an evolving threat environment and you have to be able to respond. Um, and also people are always coming out with new chips and APIs and um, you know while in the in the sort of larger system world the, the, the rate of evolution of chipsets is relatively slow. I mean you know Intel comes up with a few chips every year and they're pretty much all exactly compatible. They have, a, have their quirks, but mostly the, what dif differentiates them is how fast they are. Um, and in the embedded world, it's, it's a, lot, a lot different. So um, wanna, we're gonna zoom in for a bit and talk about, about free RTOS, because it's, 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 it's kind of the, the hardest end of the, of the scale for this. So Richard? Thanks. <clears throat> so, had anyone heard of FreeRTOS before today? Excellent. Who heard about it today? Even better. So, um, last question, I promise. Who considers themselves to be an embedded engineer? Okay. Um, I, sorry to pick on somebody, but... How, in your embedded application, how much RAM do you have? Very little. And what do you consider very little? I'm trying to get the scale here for people. A couple of K. Wow. So that is small. The, re the reason I try and set the 
the level first is to um, make sure people realize just how small these things are. Uh, often we say we're working in very small embedded systems. And someone says, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm working in small embedded systems as well. I've only got 100 megabytes of RAM. All right. So now, we, if you look through some of the applications that James just ran through, um, I, I, I hate the examples of light bulbs, but I always use them because it does kind of really emphasize the point. If you have an internet-connected light bulb or um, in any piece of equipment that you would find in, in your house or uh, in an office, things like thermostats, you know, small things, they're, they're not going to have 100 megabytes of RAM. So typically here we are talking in the region of 10K to 200K bytes of, of RAM, and that's, that's what we have to deal with. So that's a constraint on how we can develop our software. And very often, as this um, diagram is trying to, to demonstrate here, I don't know, I've, I've been carrying this diagram around with me for years, and I still really don't know how to quantify the axes. Uh, as you go up, it's how applicable the system is. And as you go along the, uh, the x-axis there, we're talking about complexity of the application. And um, often complexity and the power of the processor and the resources you have go hand in hand. Now on a very small system, so if we're on the left-hand side of the x-axis there, a lot of these embedded devices don't use an OS. If you think of a light bulb and you're turning it on and on, uh, on and off even, uh, maybe you are dimming it, maybe you're changing colors. That's a very small piece of code. And typically, you would not use an OS for that. Now we're going to add some more complexity because we want to internet connect it. So we are firstly going to have some kind of communication stack, be that BLE, be that Wi-Fi, whatever. And then we are going to add in security, of course, for the reasons James has just been uh, saying. And then we have security, so, okay, now we have secrets we have to manage on the device. How are we going to manage that? And you can see that our small application has suddenly become very complex. And that complexity comes around a lot, if you like, because if you think of a communication stack, there are timing requirements, there's state that needs to be maintained, in a, um, a more complex system like some of the robots that James was talking about, you have very strict timing for the actual movement of the motors. So then you have to somehow design your system to both meet the real-time requirements of whatever your application is and all the connectivity, state, retries, and that sort of thing. And as we add complexity, we're moving along the x-axis here. And this is really where the, the Priatos uh, fits in the um, scale from very, very simple to much more complex. To explain the terminology a little bit, uh, RTOS, real-time operating system, um, really, Priatos as it existed was a scheduler. It's a real-time scheduler rather than a full-blown operating system. It managed multi-threading for you, it allowed you to simplify your application by breaking it up into separate threads of execution. And then those threads of execution can manage a lot of the complexity and you can uh, allocate a priority to that compared to other pieces of functionality. The code that you are then writing becomes a lot simpler. So um, that's the, the context of um, the scale of, uh, and, the, and the rationale, if you like, for what, what we are doing. So what was announced today then was Amazon FreeRTOS. Amazon FreeRTOS extends, in fact, it uses the kernel. So it uses the, um, the FreeRTOS scheduling algorithms and adds to it a lot of libraries which help you by providing the connectivity and the security. And this is very analogous, if you like, to the um, IoT service that uh, Amazon provide. So with their IoT service, you are 
not having to worry about security, you're not having to worry about connectivity, you're not having to worry about routing your data to all the other services that Amazon are providing. So all that undifferentiating work is done and provided for you, and you can just focus on your innovation, adding value to your product. And this is um, analogous, if you like, but on a much, much smaller scale. So I think um, the, the statistic that was quoted today is something like uh, 40, 40 to 1 ratio of things connecting to the internet are small MCUs. You have the same problems. You're an expert in the functionality, the value that your company adds. And as you connect, uh, you have to worry about managing the um, communications, managing the security. So you need a larger team, multiple skilled team, et cetera, et cetera. With Amazon Freeotos, we're taking the scheduler and adding to it the security and the connectivity um, and you know, MQTT that James again was, was talking about and putting together a, a, an integrated package that will allow you to connect to AWS and likewise focus more on innovation within your product itself and not have to worry about that. So you can get access to all the AWS services much more easily. So I said, within this package is the FreeRTOS kernel. And that is a very mature piece of software. It's been around for, I'm a bit gray on it, actually. I was the author, by the way, um, original author. I think it's been around for about 14 years, but it, it's shrouded in a little bit of mystery in time. Uh, it's um, ported to many different uh, processor architectures. Um, as was just mentioned, ARM these days is, is very dominant in the MCU market, but there are other architectures around, I think it's somewhere between 35 and 40 different architectures. It's been, it's version 10 now, uh, so that's 10 major releases and I don't know how many point releases during that time. And we also um, test it uh, very vigorously. So. It, it's a mature piece of software. It's been around for a long time, but not only have we tested it, but it's very battle-hardened. There are millions of deployments and um, many, many thousands of engineers who are using it because um, no, matter how we no matter how we test it, when it goes out into the field, people do things we didn't expect. Uh, and that shows up um, interesting issues. You say, well, reported a problem, can you tell me how to replicate it? Well, I did X, and then Y, and Z happened. And you're thinking, well, why on earth did you do X and Y? That was never what we intended you to do, right? But there's nothing stopping you do it. So it's a really battle-hardened um, piece of software. You can see on there, um, the, the little driver petals, if you like, there, are showing how it is adapted to different architectures. And there, um, there are certain patterns that we follow to uh, port to, to different architectures. Some are relatively easy, some are much more complex. But you can see that there is a, a, a core piece of software that runs on everything and then adaptation layers, if you like. Um, so on there, we also have the, um, nope, I've gone the wrong way, doesn't matter. On there, we also have the uh, PKCS and the secure sockets uh, libraries. Now, they are also libraries that have to be ported to different architectures. The ones at the top, I've got on way too many slides here, doesn't matter. Um, the ones at the top are uh, generic, like the core of the, the FreeRTOS kernel. PKCS is an open uh, API, it's a, a, um, a common standard, and that's interfacing to uh, crypto and um, key management and that sort of thing. It's very important to us that we maintain uh, use of open standards here. There's nothing which is AWS specific. There's no lock-in uh, with what we're doing here. 
So that, um, although it's uh, a, a very well understood API and the API is standard, uh, it's actually one of the things which, where the porting is very, very different from architecture to architecture. So there's a lot of innovation these days in MCUs, especially with the uh, growth of uh, the IoT, where you are having to store secrets on devices that people have ready access to and you can't uh, prevent. Um, so there's all sorts of innovation in how these MCUs are managing and storing these. The secure sockets, again, trying to use uh, an open standard. It's basically Barclays, uh, Barclays Sockets uh, API. Uh, and in there, um, we've extended that to abstract away the TLS. So if you're connecting to AWS um, IoT, then it's uh, mutually authenticated using certificates. That requires TLS. If you're um, a standard embedded engineer like me, then you, know, you get into that crypto stuff and negotiation stuff. It's rather esoteric, and um, it, it gets a bit scary. One of the reasons it gets scary is because of all the math involved. Another reason it's really scary is because the consequences of getting it wrong are um, quite dire. Uh, so the traditional way in an embedded system is to have a... Um, a TLS library, which you would create a context, and you would have a TCP library, and you would create a socket, and then you would associate the two. So to try and simplify that, what we have done is say, okay, you create a socket, and then you say, I want this to be a secure socket, and all the TLS is taken care of for you. So that's the porting layers then. Now, what you can see here is that Amazon Freatos is not a single thing. I keep talking about libraries, and these are C source code libraries. I think something in the region of 60% of um, embedded devices are still programmed in C. And then there's you know, a growing number are C++, although the C++ used on very small MCUs tends to be a quite restricted subset. And writing this in C allows you to use it in both C and C++. So it's, uh, it's a collection of libraries, not, not a single thing. And you might say, well, why, why is it done like that? Well, there are some you know, obvious reasons, like you know, modularity is just good practice in embedded and that sort of thing. But there are also some uh, less obvious reasons. And that is, as um, technology progresses, and uh, manu MCU manufacturers are targeting the IoT market, then they are recognizing that um, TLS and TCP or all these other things are, that, that's a really heavy bag of bricks that these tiny little MCUs have to carry around. So a lot of these things are being offloaded. You might not realize they are. Maybe in a single package, you actually have two chips. And one of those chips is managing TCP or TLS, or you've got some uh, crypto offload peripherals actually on the device. These things allow you to optimize your code. Very common, you would have a separate Wi-Fi module, and that might be running TCP on it. Sometimes it's running TLS on there as well. So when you are putting an Amazon FreeRTOS project together, um, we can't just say, here's a whole lump of software and it's all pre-integrated and it's all stitched together and you can't do anything about it because uh, the reality is that sometimes you might have your own TLS that you want to use. Sometimes the TCP is on a different chip. Sometimes the TLS has um, the possibility of being made faster by using peripherals actually on the MCU itself. So... The way it is structured as these libraries, it has very well-defined interfaces between the libraries. And that means that if you have your own chip and um, the TCP is somewhere else or the TLS is somewhere else, or you, you want to use a different library, just by providing that porting layer, uh, which is the abstraction, if you like, that allows these things to click together, and you, you have the flexibility to do what you like. So the other thing which is um, imp important to realize here, as this is a, is a collection of parts, is that the, um, these things are going to be versioned differently. The version numbers are going to be different. 
I've already said that version, uh, sorry, Freeatos has just been launched in version 10. All the other libraries here are in, or at least the interfaces, are in version 1 at the moment. That's because it's a new product. It's just been launched. Over time, as libraries are worked on and developed, the version numbers of the libraries will go up. And um, we have Amazon Freeatos version 1, which has you know, version 1 of the MQTT library, version 1 of the shadow, etc., etc. Um, Amazon Freeatos version 2 may still have version 1 of the MQTT, but version 2 of the shadow. And um, this is the kind of analogy for that. It, it, just, it makes things a bit complex, if you like. The kind of analogy for that is um, compilers. The embedded engineers here are probably familiar with um, the I, IAR compiler, which is very popular uh, embedded C compiler. And there they have um, an embedded workbench version number. So it might be version 7 or 8 or something like that. But when you actually look below that, you click the, the about, you'll see there's like 15 or 20 libraries under there, all of which are versioned differently. And that's, that's how this is um, put together as well. So in the case of the compiler, the obvious ones are things like the compiler, the linker, the library, and that sort of thing. In our case, we have communication stacks and the security stacks. So using the, having the uh, multi-threaded capability in here also allows us to make the interfaces much simpler in the way that I described previously. So where we have things like MQTT that have, manages state, you might have multiple connections and, and you have to manage the state of each one. And you have things like retry timing that you have to manage. Um, you know, as, as each connection goes through the state machine, rather than uh, expose all that complexity, the OS is used to manage all the MQTT connections in what we call an agent. It's basically a, a thread of execution. And you don't see any of that happening. All you get is a, a very simple interface that says, I want to publish data to the cloud, and I want to know when data is received as well. So the, um, again, that's just to emphasize the, the simplicity element. Likewise, with the um, shadow and the uh, OTA, which um, James was just saying is, is so important, there, that, that is also running as an agent. So when you um, turn your system on, you can say, you know, in a function call that you want to get notified of when there are updates available and when updates are available. How, how it's received is uh, all managed for you. You don't have to uh, worry about that. Um, and because it's a real-time operating system, of course, we don't want the OTA potentially to be happening at the same time that something urgent is happening. Um, whatever that urgency is, be it in a, uh, in a car, in a factory, uh, in a medical device or whatever. So you can use the prioritization that the OS gives you to um, decide how and when and at what priority that OTA is going to occur. I think... So we've got, what, 11 minutes left before we get thrown out of the room. Yep. Uh, questions? Do we get to go to beer early? Ah, oh, yeah, do you know? Yes, okay. That was, um, I thought the clue is in the name. <laughs> but yes, yes it is. It's, um, the license has just been changed, actually, uh, to make it simpler. So it's MIT licensed. Uh, in fact, everything that you saw on there is MIT licensed, I believe. I yeah, some, maybe some of the TLS components is um, Apache licensed, but yeah. Right, and it's all on GitHub. Um, we should have put the GitHub URL on, the, on yeah. one of the slides. But it's all there. 
Um, and and the, we've been talking about these components, you know, the OTA and MQTD and all that, but there's actually a lot more components, um, but they're kind of community components that are kind of uh, uh, use at your peril, although, you know, like, like, like there's multiple different file systems. Um, and, you know, the one that I've been using for the last five years, I've never seen it fail. It's solid as a rock, but, um, you know, Amazon is really putting its energy into the connect to the cloud part of things. And so we're really talking about the, the free RTOS community who's been working for years um, and, you know, Richard and his, and his, and his friends. They've, they've always been putting, doing a lot of these other pieces um, you know, so you know, if you if you go to go to go to GitHub and rummage around, you'll find you'll find the the, the free RTOS repository under the under AWS, um, and it's all there, every last byte. Mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, so the, the question then was, um, do we have any novel approaches to managing clock skew and um, in, incorrect, incorrect clocks and that sort of thing? Yeah, so, so can I take a stab at the answer for this? So there, there's, there, there's two kinds of answers to that question. I mean, most of these chips, um, you know, the, 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 the kind of thing that, that people are normally worried about in a real-time system are um, intervals. You know, to do this every fifty-fifth of a second, something like that. And most of the clocks are set up for doing that. Um, very few of them have, you know, what in a in a normal OS would be called a real-time clock um, that that doesn't have that, that tries to synchronize time of day, um, and. You know, pretty much the global standard for doing that is is NTP, um, and if you look in the free to, free RTOS um, GitHub repository, you'll find a module that that implements NTP, um, and so that just maintains a clock that is synchronized with sort of the outside world, um, and that requires like a real internet connection. Um, but if you don't have, a, you know, so, so a lot of times when people are, are doing these things, they don't have a, a time source nearby. Um, mm -hmm. So it gets very difficult. But if you want to put, like, time, time stamps in a, in a, in a data stream, um, the only thing that's really, really, truly reliable is, is if you put relative time stamps in the, in, in the, in the, in the stream. Um, but the, but um, absolute time is a... It's a really hard thing. That that uh, McBlair bagpipes thing, that was uh, uh, my friend Roger Dannenberg. His whole PhD thesis was on that topic, <laughs> was on how you manage distributed clocks, and it's really hard. Um, and there have been a lot of PhD theses on the topic. Other questions? Um, so, if you go to the, get the URL, aws.amazon.com slash freeartos, then you should be taken or follow your nose to uh, an online page that allows you to download uh, a, um, an example for a few different off-the-shelf pieces of hardware, low-cost hardware. And that's probably the easiest way to start, start via that route that, that will give you uh, a package um, that you can then just 
follow the instructions and, and connect to AWS. Yeah, and the, and the even like I think the, the README on the GitHub site mm -hmm. has has pointers to this to this information. So there's um, there are also a number of, of IDEs you can use. Um, there are you know plugins for Eclipse for some of these chipsets. Mm -hmm. um, there's plugins for Visual Studio. Um, if you, it's 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 all pretty well described. So if you if you want to um, get started without having uh, a piece of hardware, then you can also run the code under Windows, uh, and it's running all the same code. You won't get real time behavior, uh, but you can experiment with the code. Of course, it's not a real MCU, but whilst you're waiting for your real MCU, it allows you to start. There's, if you want to get deeper into FreeRTOS itself, there is a, a book which you can download from the freeRTOS.org website. And I think it's also, uh, if it's not available yet, it's probably available on the AWS site as well as um, HTML pages. There. Okay, so uh, to answer the, the first question, yes, the OTA agent, you may find it in GitHub. It's, it's not being launched at the same time, but it will be um, before the end of the year, I believe. And um, what, what's next? Uh, I'd say um, carry on testing and find out what, what people like, what they would like to have added, and try, try and service whatever requests we have. As, I think there was a question down here as well. Okay, so two um, we, sorry, we've only, we've only got two minutes, and I want to get at least one more question, so. Would it, does it, so the question then was, does it mean if uh, Amazon would get into the MCU manufacturing space? I have to I don't know. And I wouldn't be the right person to ask. <laughs> So how is Amazon FreeRTOS different to um, the FreeRTOS kernel? Uh, Amazon FreeRTOS uses the FreeRTOS kernel. So the FreeRTOS kernel is a component within Amazon FreeRTOS. There was another question over there. Right, and, and, and work done at Amazon on FreeRTOS under, under FreeRTOS will be part of you know, what people have always thought of as FreeRTOS. Yeah, so I, I mean, Amazon are continuing to develop the kernel as well. It's not not just the other libraries, uh, as, as is evidenced by version 10 being released today. Yeah. You started your talk with uh, your question. Yes. Okay, so what's the, what's the minimum footprint for a full stack implementation? The limiting factor is actually the TLS. Um, the OS itself is very small, and by very small doesn't mean anything, does it? So, it's around 9 to 15K of compiled code, and the RAM usage is very small as well. The um, TLS, I believe, is something like 30 or 40K. So um, that's by far and away the biggest, the biggest part. Uh, there are numbers quoted on, on the web on what the minimum requirements are for the full stack, including the TLS. I could quote them now, but I'll probably get them wrong. I think we're saying 128K of RAM or something like that. But um, please don't take that as an absolute. Go and see what it says on there. Yeah, and it also depends on which chips, chipset you're talking about because some of the chipsets actually have the full TLS TCP stack 
vaguely in hardware, and then all, then it gets much much smaller. And yes. And so, like, like in his diagrams of the secure sockets, the reason that there are all those drivers under there is that sometimes the secure sockets implementation is just call the hardware. Yeah. Um, that, that, that number is if you're running everything in software, is, which is one of the reasons you know, manufacturers are moving some of this stuff into hardware. Uh, last, last question, I'm afraid, because we're actually officially out of time. So the launch partners are uh, ST, NXP, Microchip, and TI. They're, they're the ones that are available at launch. I say I, we are out of time. We were, we were told we would have to uh, turn around the room fairly quickly. So thanks, thanks for everyone's uh, coming. Thank you.